Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Here are your hosts, Nick and Simon. Simon, a lady called Maddie LeBlanc contacted me on Instagram one day and said, would we like to interview her? And I looked at her profile and I was like, yes. And then we, I just got totally bogged down in some stuff. And coincidentally, you picked up on it and uh, you actually interviewed her. So how did that turn about? I did. Well, more fool you. I had a lovely chat with Maddie. She's our first Canadian paddler on the show. She uh, competed in the SUP Championships in China and uh, had a really interesting selection of races there, which we talk about in the episode. But she's so much more than an enthusiastic supper. She contributed to SUP Kids, which is initiative to involve kids in not only learning stand-up paddleboard skills, but uh, also environmental um, responsibilities. And uh, she's a, a, a fundraiser as well. That's wonderful. Starboard get involved in a lot of those things. I remember them doing a lot of environmental stuff a couple of years ago. It's good to see that they still have a lot of corporate social responsibility built into their ethics. Exactly. I mean, they are a supporter of, of SUPKID. There are SUPKID's suppliers all over the world. So not only that, not only being an absolute um, A1 competitor and um, an instructor, but she's also uh, an academic and uh, she's done all sorts of studies into stand-up paddleboarding and particularly people's involvement in the environmental side having already been exposed to SUP and something that I was quite interested to, to find out more about because certainly this season we've had a lot of people on who've been very involved in the environmental side of basically maintaining waterways and minimising plastics. Today on SUP FM, we're joined by our first ever Canadian paddler on the show, Madeleine LeBlanc. Maddie represented Canada in the 2018 ISA Championships, competing in the technical and distance competitions. Maddie isn't just an elite level paddler, though. She's created an annual event on board, raising money for brain cancer research. She's also a WPA level one instructor, teaching as part of the SUP Kids program, and is also doing a master's thesis at Brock University into the subject of SUP. Maddie, welcome to SUP FM. Hi, Simon. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, it's great to have you on the show. So one of the first things it's interesting to find out about is the story behind your first experience of SUP. So could you share the first time you saw the sport and also uh, the story about when you first stepped onto a board? Of course. Um, for me, it was actually a pretty unique experience because I never grew up anywhere kind of in, on or, or around the water. Um, I was always a very athletic child, but I never, ever did anything remotely close to the water. And so I believe it was 2007, I was up north with my parents in a town called Sable Beach. And Sable Beach is located along Lake Huron, which is one of our five great lakes here in Canada. And I remember seeing these two men coming onto the beach, and they were carrying these giant yellow Nash Supboards, and so they looked like giant bananas to me as a ten-year-old kid. And um, watching them go out onto the water, I was absolutely intrigued. I couldn't take my eyes off of them. 
and I couldn't believe what they were doing. And so I turned to my parents and I said, mom, dad, what is that? And their jaws had just like hit the sand. They had no idea either what stand-up paddleboarding was and we had never seen it before. Um, so my mom looked at me and she said, Maddie, when they come back in, you have to ask them what that is. And I was pretty little, like I think I was about 10 years old at the time. And I looked at her and I was like, I'm not going up to two strangers <laughs> to ask them what that is. <laughs> like, no way. And she said, Maddie, if you don't, you will regret that for the rest of your life. And so when they came back in, I somehow built up the courage to ask. And they said, yeah, these are stand-up paddle boards. Would you like to try? And that question has forever changed my life. And getting out on a stand-up paddle board that day just was so um, incredible. It was an experience I'll never forget. I still remember the view that I had standing on that board. Um, there's a really old picture. I think I have it somewhere on my Instagram. Uh, but I was paddling uh, on the front of the board and my brother was sitting on the back. And then my mom was in the water and <laughs> she was making sure that we weren't going to run into any swimmers around that day. But absolutely incredible. It was just, uh, I feel like a product of fate <laughs> and destiny, whatever you want to call it. But... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? These these accidents. Um I I had something uh, very similar actually. I was in France and uh just making my way to this restaurant with my parents and it, we were in this sort of marshy area so there wasn't any there was just these little canal things and saw this very elegant Frenchman take, you know, what looked to me like a, a, a long board. And I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. There's no surf around here. And he just popped onto the, the canal and paddled. And, uh, you know, like, like me, you know, I'm dry, dry land athlete. It just grabbed me. What would you say was the, was it about stand up paddling that particularly grabbed you? I think honestly, it was the connection with the water like just the view that I was able to have, like for me, I, I was a very small child, like elementary school, I was <laughs> like teased because of my height. And so I think the unique perspective that I was able to get on a stand up paddleboard was just so life changing. And the fact that I was a very athletic child and anything and everything I wanted to try. So stand up paddleboarding for me was another unique thing to try. And I don't know, I just, I honestly think the view that I had that day of like the horizon and the water, like it was crystal clear. And I think I just wanted to capture that moment forever. And I'll never forget going back home and begging my parents for a surfboard after that, because it was something I just wanted to hold on to. And and you took to it fairly well. I mean, if if you're fairly athletic up to this point, I guess you had a pretty good, uh, good uh, ability to balance and so on. Oh, that's definitely improved. It's <laughs> balance has been a work in progress. That's for sure. But <laughs> yeah, I definitely think um, growing up playing a lot of different sports contributed to the different skills that you are able to use for stand up paddle boarding, whether that be for leisure or racing or even traveling. It's pretty cool. And um, what sports did you used to take part in? Were you a generalist or did you have a sort of preferred sport before you uh, took up stand-up paddling? I would definitely say soccer and uh, I actually danced for 13 years as well. So I think the combination of explosive movement from soccer 
And then kind of the gracefulness and I guess balance as well in dance is really what helped me apply it to stand up paddleboarding. Fantastic. And then, of course, uh, your race career um, took over. Um, my uh, my first uh, stand up paddleboard race was a bit of a disaster. It was technical race. There were too many boys all over the place. I was going around on my second circuit <laughs> of the course, and very strong second place. Ended up taking the wrong route, went the wrong way around a boy, oh, no. took a bit of a shortcut inadvertently. Still arrived in second place no one noticed but I ended up uh, disqualifying myself from the race um oh, no. <laughs> I, no, I know Sli- still slightly scarred by it but tell me about your first um race experience <laughs> um kind of a little bit actually of a similar story um I think for me I didn't get into racing until a couple years after hosting um my fundraiser which I'm sure we'll talk about more later but um, some sponsors from my fundraiser had introduced me to the sport and I had no idea you could race. And so my very first race I signed up for, I remember telling myself like, okay, Maddie, you're not going to go ham with this. You're not going to go crazy. Just sign up for something super easy. And so my parents and I, we drove to Barrie for a one kilometer kind of square technical course race. Mm-hmm. And for us, Barry, it's about two and a half to three hours away from Niagara. And so we get there. Um, the atmosphere was incredible, like just being surrounded by all the other paddlers. And um, I really felt like I found an environment that I belonged in, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, the the horn blew. I, I ran with a board that I was just borrowing from a friend. I probably looked like the biggest kook ever, like just running into the water not really knowing what to do. I'm, I think my paddle was way too long. Um, so you can imagine a tiny little person just holding this ginormous paddle. Um, but I remember I gave that race my everything. Like I paddled around the square route. I came back and I came in second place. So I remember being pretty happy about that. Like I said, Hey, like, you know, it's not first, but it's not last. So that's pretty good. Um, and my mom was standing there on the beach. And when I came in, I I was so happy. I looked at her. I said, mom, mom, I came in second place. And she looks at me and she goes, really, Maddie? Like, we just drove three hours for an 11-minute race? <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't believe that it was done and over so fast. Um, but such an incredible experience. And I, I love telling that story because those 11 minutes were enough to hooked me onto racing for a very long time and second place in your first race that's that's pretty good I mean you know obviously your racing career took off since then um you know leading <laughs> up to your opportunity to to race for the uh, the Canada team and and that came about because you pretty much bossed the the sup racing over your side of Canada throughout 2018 didn't you yeah like oh China was actually um a very very lucky opportunity for me I feel like so many things in stand-up paddleboarding have come to me like not only because of hard work I definitely give myself the credit of hard work but I think um like China was just such a a a right place at the right time kind of a moment um one of my friends that I race with pretty closely around here in Ontario uh her name's Ariel Amaral and she had gone out to BC 
earlier that year in May to qualify for Team Canada. And I decided not to go out to BC that year because for me, it was pretty expensive. I was still finishing up my undergrad and I honestly just couldn't afford to go. And so later on that same year, I think it was September, a spot had opened up on the team. And Ariel called me and she's like, Maddie, we have a spot. Would you like to come and represent Team Canada? And it was actually kind of funny because at first I I said no, because I was starting uh, my last year of my undergrad. I was writing an undergraduate thesis. And again, just time and money. I, I said, Ariel, like, thank you so much. But I just I don't have the resources and the support to go. And she said, okay, like, that's too bad. And I remember banging my head against a wall being like, man, I just gave up the opportunity of a lifetime, but I seriously can't go. Um, And then luckily enough, she actually called me back a month later. So it was now October. And she said, Maddie, we still have that spot open. And one of our other team members uh, will pay for your flight to China. Wow. So you need to get your butt on our team and you need to come with us to China. Amazing. And that point, I, I didn't even hesitate. Yep. <laughs> I said, okay, bags are packed. I'm coming. I'll see you soon. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and how did you enjoy China? Oh, I, I loved every single aspect of China. It humbled me so much in the experiences that I had with the locals, with my team members, with other athletes around the world. Like I couldn't believe that all of these famous stand-up paddleboarders that I've only ever seen from my laptop or, or my phone screen, they were standing like right in front of me. Like I actually got to say hi to Connor Baxter and, and Candace Appleby and Fiona. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, someone pinch me. <laughs> this isn't happening. <laughs> and what was the atmosphere like in the village? And clearly everyone has their game face on on race day, but um, you know, I guess people pretty much get on and, and mix when they're, they're not racing. Yeah, it, I would say the China atmosphere like was pretty unique because um, stand-up paddleboarding in itself being a lifestyle sport really spoke to that environment that we were in. Um, like I would say when we were on the event site and just waiting on the beach for races to start, like you could feel the tension for sure. Um, a lot of athletes having their headphones in, looking down. I know I did too. Like I, I blocked out every single excess noise around me. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like when the other events were happening, like the sup surfing um, or the opening ceremonies, there was also kind of a peacefulness to it too. And a really unique atmosphere where everybody could chat and connect with each other, connect with the locals and really just take in what China was all about i think that the weather was a bit backwards wasn't it because i think the surfing was supposed to start the competition was to start supposed to start at the end of the the period of time but um there was a bit of surf um up front so you had to put off your races didn't you for a for a few days yes actually that's exactly what happened i remember being so nervous when they made the call um because the distance race i believe was supposed to be first and then the technical and then sup surfing was supposed to be the last event. And so I remember thinking like, okay, you're going to go in, you're going to do your races, and then you're going to just enjoy the rest of your time in China, like no pressure whatsoever. And when we got there and got our team pictures taken, um, everybody was saying, oh, it sounds like the sup surf is going to be first. And I remember being like, 
oh no, <laughs> I have to wait now <laughs> to, to race. And um, it did make me a little bit more anxious, but I think once I actually got to watch the subsurfing mm. happen, it made me a lot more relaxed, like just kind of having fun rooting for everybody and cheering on your team members um, made it quite a unique experience. But it, I, I would say I was a little disappointed. <laughs> I really wanted to just kind of get it done and over with because I was so nervous, but um, it was still incredible anyway. Oh, sounds yeah. like an incredible experience. So, so just uh, for those of us who are will never compete in the uh, in the championships. You're standing on the start line. Uh, you're lining up. You're looking left and you're looking right. You've got the board under your arm. What's going through your mind at that point where as you're just waiting to launch? Oh, man. Um, oh, I just remember the only thing I could look at was the water. Like I was not turning my head to anybody or anything. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I didn't want to see anybody else's faces. I just saw the water and thought, okay, you need to run straight for that. Um, But I think too, for a split second, like I definitely thought of everybody back at home. Like I thought of everybody supporting me. I knew some of my friends and family were watching the ISA live feed. And so in my head too, I was thinking, man, I wonder what my family's thinking right now. Like they're staying up really late to watch this. I hope they're kind of thinking the same thing I am and in that hopefully this will be a successful race and it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, those are live feeds are fantastic. They really are. Uh, I remember watching the one in Mexico. I mean, you know, they're just brilliant. They, they really do represent the, the racing brilliantly. So, so your first race was the technical, wasn't it? And it was pretty eventful, right? It, it was. It, it truly was. Uh, <laughs> um, actually, so what had happened was the horn blew and I took off and I just remember I I actually started that first lap because I believe we had to do four laps um I took off really hard like I gave it a lot and I remember coming around on the second lap thinking like okay Maddie you need to slow this down because your heart rate is like through the roof and you definitely cannot keep up this pace (laughs) if you keep going um so I remember thinking like okay you have to slow it down And after my third lap, I had come into the beach. Uh, You had to run around a flag and then go back out with your board. And I had to borrow a board from China because our starboard that we were supposed to have um, in China kind of got destroyed in an accident on the way over. Mm. Um, So we had to borrow a board. And this board was so heavy. Like I have never carried such a heavy board in my life. And so my parents were watching the race at home and they were laughing pretty hard because um, a lot of the feed at first was showing Candace Appleby and Tareen Black because they were also in my heat and they were in first and second. And so for a split second, the camera panned to me and it said, oh, here comes Maddie LeBlanc from Canada. And it was just as I was carrying the board and running back out into the water through the beach break. And because I was so tired, because I had burned myself out in the first lap, um, I had thrown the board down on the water and laid down on it and was getting ready to stand up, but a wave was coming. And in my head, I was like, oh man, I'm way too tired. I don't think I can stand up before this wave comes. (laughs) And so for the split second that the live feed showed me, this wave just comes and demolishes me. (laughs) And my parents 
lost it. Like they texted me during the race and they said, we just watched you get hit by a wave. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. And so that was the first thing I remember seeing on my phone <laughs> after that race. Um, but I think honestly, that moment in time was kind of a, a true testament to the whole race in itself in the fact that, you know, I, I got smacked around by a couple waves, but it didn't stop me. And I got up and I just kept going. And I, I think that was the hardest, but most rewarding race of my life I, I've ever done. Amazing. And, <laughs> um, and then you had um, your second race came pretty quickly after that, didn't it? It, it did. So um, for the technical race, I had just missed the cutoff for the repercharge. So um, I had to go into the next round of racing in order to make the finals that would have been the next day. And so I think I only had like an hour or an hour and a half of a rest period Whoa. before the next one. And I, yeah, woe is right. <laughs> I just remember coming back to the beach and looking at my team members thinking, man, how am I going to do that all over again? <laughs> but I did. And I was actually faster. I think I was two minutes faster in my second round than the first round because I had learned from my mistakes <laughs> in the first round. Yeah. So. And then you did, uh, you had your uh, distance race as well, which was cut a bit short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that for me um, is definitely a driving factor to coming back to the ISA World Self and Paddleboard Championships. Like I feel um, there's some unfinished business I have um, just because of the distance race. So um, I believe the distance race was three or four days after the technicals. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was 18 kilometers. And I remember the day before we had gone out to the event site and I had paddled around in the bay a little bit and, and my back was kind of sore, but I didn't want to acknowledge it. I, I knew it was hurt, but I said, Nope, like you can do this. You can suck it up. Like you'll be fine. 18 kilometers. Like you've paddled that before. No problem. Mm -hmm. You'll be okay. And so Saturday morning came and the men raced first. And then the women raced in the afternoon. And I remember being kind of upset about that because it was so much hotter in the afternoon and the wind had picked up. So the women definitely had more challenging conditions than the men. But again, in my head, I just was trying to keep myself as calm as possible and just saying like, you can do this, you can do this. And so just like the technicals, like the horn blew and I went out. And I actually had a pretty strong start. Um, I remember kind of drafting my friend Ariel Amrel, who was also on Team Canada with me for a little bit. Um, and when we had first gotten out, it was a little bit choppy, the water. And I just remember thinking, like, okay, you got to test your balance here. And, and then we rounded the first buoy. And we had this downwind section for the course. And I just remember being so excited to get to that point because my back was now really, really hurting. I, I was probably about a kilometer and a half into the race at that point. And I just thought, okay, this downwind section will be fine. It'll give you a break. You'll be able to catch some bumps and, and you'll be fine. You can do this. You just need to kind of put your head down and grind it out. But as I came around to the second buoy, uh, so our little tiny downwind section had ended. So I was probably about three or four kilometers into the race now at this point. Mm -hmm. um, my my back was just absolutely stinging in pain. It was shooting up all the way from my lower back, kind of up my spine. 
And I was even starting to feel it in my shoulders a bit. And I just thought, okay, this isn't good. This isn't like a sore pain. Mm. This is an injured pain. And I remember looking at the safety boat because it was right there at the second buoy. And I just thought, okay, it's either now or never kind of thing. It's either like you you bail now or you kind of keep trying to grind it out. And it was a really, really hard decision to make kind of in that split second. But I just knew I... I was like, you know what, this isn't worth hurting yourself in the long run. Um, so you you need to pull out. And so I paddled over to the boat and my back was in so much pain. They actually had to pull the boat up like to shore <laughs> to get me out because closer to the event site, they said, oh, like, can you paddle from here um, so we don't have to pull up? And and I actually looked at them and I said, no, I, I can't get back on my board. I it, It's it's too far away. Um so they got me back to shore and, and they took care of me pretty good. But it it was definitely disappointing to say the least. Like you travel so far and you work so hard to get there and to not finish a race definitely is heartbreaking. Mm. But I love looking at that experience now as something to kind of give me some more fire in my belly. Like it's definitely something that I want to redeem myself. Yeah, I mean, you must have learnt so much about uh, you know the whole racing uh, um, process. Did you ever get to the bottom of what had caused the original back problem? Had you sort of tweaked it during the technical, or was it training, or sleeping funny, or what, what caused it? Did you ever find out? Yeah. So actually, when I went back home and I worked with some physiotherapists and, and my chiropractor, um, they both had said that it was probably because of the rental board that I had used in the technical race that my body wasn't used to paddling something so heavy. Mm. And they really think probably the equipment error is what tweaked my back. And it took a long time uh, to recover. I think it took me a good solid three months for my back to fully um, be 100%. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I... (laughs) I think, yeah, it was uh, not being able to be on the equipment that I was familiar with that really led to that downfall. You got the chance to be able to paddle for Canada because of your your successes in um, the races in Ontario and so on. Just tell me a bit about sort of what led up to your selection for the Canadian race series, because you won some pretty decent um, races there, didn't you? Yeah, I, you know what, 2018 for me was such a great season. I I loved it so much and I worked really hard <laughs> that year. Um, so for us in Canada, our, our race season runs from May to uh, I'd say about mid September, the end of September. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess I would say uh, some of the biggest races I got to do were the Lake Ontario paddleboard crossing race. That was in a tandem with my friend Danielle and we both paddled for Team Starboard, and we just looked at each other and we said, "Hey, why don't we do this crazy 32 mile race? Like, let's just go across Lake Ontario." And um, we completed that race in just over seven hours, and we had broken the women's record for tandem wow. in that race. And so that was just a, an incredible experience um, paddling out in the middle of Lake Ontario. Um, so that was that was quite a win. We were on a starboard all star, fourteen feet by twenty three and a half right. inches wide. 
with two with two of you on it. Um, well, so we actually we got to switch off. Yeah. So I would paddle for about forty five minutes. Oh, uh, gotcha. We would switch. Yeah, nice, nice bit of uh, nice bit of kit that. Yes, honestly, I'm I'm a big Starboard fan. I'm very biased. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that that race is technically designed to be like a Molokai to Oahu um, right. because the founders of that race have actually both been to M2O and have completed that race. And so they came back to Canada and thought, why don't we create a race like that here in our own backyard? And I think that's what makes Lake Ontario so satisfying is we know it's not an ocean, but we can still get swells and we can still play around in some fun conditions and treat it like M2O. So proper downwinding, was it? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's designed to be a, a downwind. Um, the first year I actually completed it was in 2017 and we had opposite winds that day. So the course is designed to run from Niagara to Toronto, mm-hmm. which would be amazing if you have a South uh, or a Southwest wind um, because we don't have ocean swells really uh, to produce kind of natural conditions. So we need wind to be able to push us here <laughs> on freshwater and so that year we had it coming from the north and that was brutal mm. like you were going over speed bumps of, of waves and <laughs> i think that year it took us nine and a half hours to get Ooh. to toronto which is ridiculous because a, a race shouldn't be that long <laughs> no. that's supposed to be a downwinder yeah so. that's uh that's most yeah. of the day isn't it that's that's uh that's pretty brutal that they couldn't switch the direction because i know that sometimes that's in the uh the recipe for some some races if the wind's coming from the wrong direction they just sort of switch the uh switch the start and finish points yeah they they had told us that that was a possibility they said be prepared we might have to start in toronto um but the morning of i think they just kind of made the call and they didn't think the wind was going to be super bad um but like any ocean or lake kind of environment conditions can change Mm. instantly and that's what happened to us that day like we showed up to the beach at at six in the morning and we were all like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh this isn't what uh we predicted so well there you go we just had to work with what we had exactly and a bit of extra conditioning and uh, fitness training but nine hours sounds uh well that's uh major so so, Maddie, a stellar um, racing career so far. What's what's the the racing plans at the moment? So you've just come out of the off season, haven't you? So, so what what do you do in the off season to train? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my off season, I I love to have a lot of fun in my off season. I love to switch up um, from stand up and kind of try a bunch of different sports, kind of like what I I would do as a kid. Um, but this year, I think I definitely wanted to step up my my training game a lot. So I, I actually incorporated swimming a lot more into my off season. I swam twice a week with a, a triathlon group. And that was a lot of fun, uh, kind of pushing myself in the pool. Um, and then also with my local gym, I tried CrossFit. And I had a lot of fun uh, with the barbell this winter. Oh, that's that's cool. I mean, CrossFit. There's so many different options there, aren't they? It's it's really proper, gritty, generalized fitness. I, ideal for paddling, I would imagine. Yeah, it, it really is. Like I remember um, when I first got involved in it, some of my paddling friends they they looked at me and they were like, "What are you doing? Like, you don't need to lift heavy. Like, you don't need to kind of be throwing around a barbell like that." Um, 
but what a lot of people I think don't know is that CrossFit incorporates a lot of functional movement mm. and you can choose your weight. So you don't have to go heavy. And, and that's kind of my philosophy with it. I don't look at the weight. I just look more at the movements and how that helps with a lot of different aspects of my body. Like, um, pistol squats it helps with my balance it helps yeah. with my um quad strength which is super important for paddle boarding mm. um so there's a lot of different aspects to it that make it actually very helpful yeah. for paddling i'm a big fan of kettlebells they're just uh just absolutely awesome for for general conditioning and strength and so on and you know particularly applicable but you know you look at the battle ropes and you know i mean it, it's all over the place in crossfit but great for generalized fitness and uh, no no back twinges no yeah <laughs> luckily i i'm working with a great physiotherapist and a great chiropractor um so yeah no back injuries here we're we're, we're keeping fantastic. it fantastic well keep fingers crossed and just to sort of finish off a bit on the racing side because there's still loads to talk about um what have you got your your sights on i mean i clearly every <clears throat> everything all the events and so on are impacted by uh the current health crisis which we all know about but um I don't know whether there, there are any plans to switch things back on in Canada in terms of um, squad selection or anything. What, what's the latest on that? Yeah, everything um, I would just have to say is so up in the air right now. Um, it's actually kind of really weird for me to not have a race plan this year. And it's all because we just simply don't know whether or not races will be allowed by the time uh, July comes. So Locally around here, I compete in this series called the Ontario mm -hmm. Sub Series, and our races start in May. So our last one, or sorry, our first one was actually supposed to be last weekend, and um, since then we've had a few more that have been canceled. But there's some in July that we're supposed to have, and there's some in August we're supposed to have that there's been no official call made for them yet. But most likely they won't happen, and kind of hearing that news was very disappointing for me because I wanted to reclaim the Ontario Sub Series uh, Women's Elite title that I had won previously back in 2018. Um, so right now, I'm honestly kind of just going with the flow. I'm going to see what races end up being allowed to happen. And with saying that, I'll, I'll end up catering my training towards that. Um, but I think right now, like the two biggest races I have my eye on are Chattajack and Carolina Cup because I know they've been pushed to later on in the year. Um, but that will also depend on if our Canada-US border is open by then, <laughs> open by the fall. So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of weird to try to plan out a season when you don't know which races you can yeah, and can't do. Yeah, it's all very, very strange at the moment. Stella? racing mm -hmm. career so far and uh, obviously targeting whatever races are, are running carolina cups a biggie but just moving on to some of the other things that you've done because it's you're not just a racer you've done a, a huge amount um to sort of further the cause of subs um and um one of the things that stood out was um the events that you organize or the events you organize under the on board banner so um, a fundraiser could you tell us a little bit about that and what prompted you to start the program up? Oh, on board is simply just it's a passion project. It's a, it's a love project, and it started due to something 
really, really horrible happening in my life, but has come and turned out to be so amazing and incredible. And um, yeah, I guess it all started back in 2011. I lost two friends of mine due to two different types of cancer. Um, My next door neighbor, Lynn Lambert, she was 37 when she passed away due to a rare form of skin cancer on March 13th, 2011. And then that same year, my classmate, Julia Turner, uh, she was 15 when she passed away due to glioblastoma, which is a really aggressive form of a brain tumor. And she passed away on December 23rd, 2011. So I believe at the time I was grade 10. So yeah, I I would have been 15 myself too. And it was just really very hard to lose two people and, and two spectacular people in the same year. I just, I couldn't believe that people I, I was so mm-hmm. close with um, were just all of a sudden gone. Like both of their passings were very, very fast. I think Lynn was diagnosed and a month later she had passed and Julia struggled with glioblastoma for about seven months and then she passed away as well. And so losing two people so quickly, I just was completely heartbroken. And at the beginning of 2012, there were days where like I wasn't getting out of bed because I was so sad and I just didn't know how to kind of move on from these losses until my parents really helped me pull me out of that dark place. They, they kept encouraging me and just saying like, Maddie, Lynn and Julia would not want you to remember them this way. You know, they wouldn't want you to look back and and live your life in in sadness and, and in depression. They'd want you to be happy and inspired by the lives that they lived. And it's true. Like Lynn was a high school teacher at, um, well, it's a 10 secondary school. So she, inspired a lot of her students to give back. And Julia Turner as well was a pretty big volunteer with the Hope Center here in Welland, which helps tackle issues like poverty and social justice. And so they both lived their lives for other people. And so I thought, man, I, I got to do something to give back for my friends. Like they, they deserve to be remembered and they were, deserve to be remembered in a, a very special way. Um, so having that idea, I didn't really know what to put it to. And it wasn't until 2012, um, that following Christmas, I actually received my very first stand up paddleboard. <laughs> I, I had worked so hard to save up money to purchase my first one. And uh, all my babysitting money finally paid off. <laughs> and I was able to, to get a board. And so taking it out that following spring, it was as if the timeline just had worked out so perfectly, like taking it out for that first paddle um, out on the Welland Canal, my local spot was when the idea just kind of hit me like Sir Isaac Newton's apple. Like (laughs) I just, I couldn't believe um, what I was standing on. And I just thought, Hey, what if I make a fundraiser out of what I'm standing on? And I thought about other fundraisers like Terry Fox in Canada and how He had run across the country to raise funds for cancer. And I just thought, what if I paddle a certain distance to raise money for cancer? And um, yeah, that following year of 2014 was Onboard's first year. And we raised over 
$4,000 for brain cancer research. And it's just become an annual event since um, the first year I ran it. I, I actually paddled 10 kilometers down the Welland Canal by myself. Mm-hmm. And my friends couldn't believe it. They thought it was wicked cool. And when I came back to shore, so many of them said, oh, like, can I join you next year? Can we please do this together? Like, I'd love to join you. And so from there on, Onboard became such a big community event. And every year I, I don't get to paddle alone. <laughs> I get to paddle with yeah. an amazing group of passionate, passionate paddlers. And it's just been so rewarding, like intrinsically and and obviously for brain cancer research in itself. But it's it's become something so much bigger than I ever anticipated. <laughs> That's incredible. And and a great memorial to the to the two that you've lost as well. As well as um raising lots of money for for cancer and you've got plenty of sponsors on board so it certainly seems to have uh, captured the local imagination massively it it truly has like i think back to the first year and i only had i think uh two sponsors that first year and for me that was enough to to paddle so far and for so long and now i look back like last year was on board sixth year and we had 105 paddlers out on the water and we've raised over $40,000 to date. And I just, I cannot believe how much it inspires people, how much it keeps growing every year and how much it's changed so many people's perspectives on the sport and on brain cancer research, like just from, from paddling, like it's incredible what it's done. It's, it's truly amazing. I, I'm so thankful. And I guess everyone's been touched in some way by cancer, you know, either, you know, having suffered from it or um, knowing people who have. So, you know, just an incredibly worthy cause. I mean, in- incredible fundraising, but uh, you also do quite a bit of work to inspire future generations and uh, to share the, the stoke of uh, of SUP. And uh, you're also a camp director for SUP Kids. Now, I don't know too much about SUP Kids. I know that it's a um, sort of international type uh, franchise and it's it's done in camps throughout the, the world. But just, just share a little bit about um, how how that works, what the age groups are and what sort of things you do on a, a SUP Kids camp. For sure. Um, so SUP Kids actually was another product, I think, of fate <laughs> and destiny. Um, I believe I was in my third year of racing at this point. And a sponsor had come out to on board and also watched some of my races. Uh, his name's Tim Bala, and he works for a company called Paddle Niagara. And he had approached me one summer and so, so casually, he just said, hey, Maddie, I'm, I'm purchasing this program. It's a curriculum called SUP Kids. Uh, would you mind if I hired you next summer to come down here and, and to teach it in Niagara-on-the-Lake? And I knew nothing about this program. I had never taught a kid's camp on the water before. I've, I've had lots of experience in outdoor education, but never on the water. Um, and I just said, yeah, sure, I'm down. Okay. Like, <laughs> so uh, I knew nothing about SUP Kids before I, when I even signed up for it. Um, so that following winter, Tim Bala, we met up at a coffee shop. He basically handed me the curriculum this big hard copy book and said, here you go, here's SUP Kids, learn it by the summer and it's all yours. And as I was going through this book, I I couldn't put it down. I thought 
oh my God, who created this curriculum? This is insane. It is so amazing how it incorporates not just lessons about stand-up paddleboarding, but environmentalism at the same time. It essentially empowers children to be stewards for the environment while they're playing in such a unique environment. And so I had taught it for two summers after that. I taught it in 2018 and 2019. And I just loved every single aspect of the program. I loved seeing kids' faces, um, trying to throw a rescue rope. That's that's day one. The lesson is safe sup. Uh, drawing hazard maps as well. Um, doing beach cleanups. Like participating in these activities that are so essential to making kids um, really get a good sense of their environment and not just say, okay, kids, like here's how you stand up paddleboard. It's it's saying, hey, kids, here's how you stand up paddleboard, but give back to your environment at the same time. And so later on in 2019, um, I was approached by Lindsay Hawking, who is the founder of SUP Kids. She created it back in 2008. And then I believe she partnered with Starboard in 2014 to launch the program essentially all over the world. So we have 22 SUP Kids schools all around the world. I actually know we have 23 now. Someone signed up yesterday. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's truly incredible where people are teaching this program and how it's being applied to different environments all over the world. And um, anyway, so Lindsay had heard of the work that I was doing with our SUP Kids School in Canada. And she had said, Maddie, you know, I, I need a new community intern for SUP Kids to run our social media content, uh, the website, and just kind of keep up to date with what's going on. Would you like to be my new community coordinator? And I, I couldn't believe it because I, I was so thrilled <laughs> to, to be able to teach the program in real life, but to kind of take my passion and, and incorporate that online as well. So um, yeah, I think since December of 2019, I've been creating the social media content, uh, reaching out to new and potential schools for SUP kids and kind of just spreading the stoke and trying to get as many kids involved in the sport as possible, because I truly believe kids are the future. And I think if we can em empower them to be stewards of the environment, I think we'll be left in good hands. So, <laughs> yeah. um, it's been quite a privilege to teach. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think it's a you know really far sighted program because you know generally when we're teaching things we talk about the what you know the facts and so on but the why is so much more important and experiential learning you know does leave a, a longer imprint um, so it's a multi day structure isn't it on this camp you do different activities in different days different themes is that am I right there. Yes. So SUP Kids, um, what's really cool about it is that there's five main lessons that are incorporated in the program. Um, and then you as the instructor, once you purchase the program, you can choose to uh, span that out however you'd like. So when I teach it here in Canada, we do it over the course of five days. So Monday to Friday, we'll take one lesson and do one per day. So um yeah, we have, I think, Safe Sup is day one. There's Healthy Sup Kids, where we, like, make granola. Um, then there's uh, Ocean Plastics, which is our beach cleanup day. Ambassadors mm -hmm. for the Planet. I 
I remember is our last day because uh, we kind of like to leave it off on a good note. Mm -hmm. And then uh, SUP Adventures is another day as well, too, where we teach the kids how to kind of read a map and how to plan out a route if they want to go for a paddle and what that looks like. So, yeah, you as the instructor, you can take any of those five lessons and teach them however you'd like. If if you want to make it a one-day program, you can. If you want to make it five weeks, you can. Um, there's a lot mm. of different ways you can offer SUP kids. Wow, sounds exciting. And I guess the real reward is seeing progression of the children from, you know, starting and being all wobbly to not only being a much, much better performer on the on the paddleboard, but also learning a whole lot more and just being really engaged. Oh, it's it's so true. Like I'll I'll never forget last summer I taught this one boy who he really loved to be inside and play video games like he he was not happy that his parents had signed him up for this program and so he showed up on day one and he's looking at me and he's kind of got this pouty face because he doesn't want to be there but the second he got on a paddleboard it's like he just left his ego on the beach like his whole face lit up like christmas and he just totally changed his perspective around and had so much fun swimming and diving and playing with the other kids. And by the end of the week, he actually didn't want to leave. He he looked at me and he said, Maddie, I, I'm going to sign up for another week. I, I want to come back. And I said, yeah, like we would love to have you back. You're always more than welcome. So oh, amazing. I've, I've had so many experiences like that. Yeah. And, and I'm sure other sub kids schools have too. And it, there's no words to describe what that feeling is like knowing that you've changed a child's life like that in just a matter of a week and through a paddleboard it's it's yeah. really incredible and you know those memories will last a long time for them and hopefully spark um, you know their future involvement so i mean that leads us really nicely into the next subject which uh, which is your academic uh, expertise so um you're you're currently doing a, a master's into stand up paddleboarding and i know that you've got a very solid sort of environmental element to your your cv your undergraduate thesis was um all about sup as a process towards greater environmental concern which is something that i've definitely seen certainly through a lot of the interviews i've done for this show um, stand-up paddleboarding seems to engage far more people in terms of, you know, awareness of the environment, the effects particularly of plastics on it, and a real desire to make a difference. So just tell me a bit about your your research and, and your sort of academic side of SUP. Yes, I'm, I feel so lucky that I get to research my passion. I don't think I would be involved in research if I didn't get to study stand-up paddleboarding and its effects on people. And I think much like you, you hear these stories of people being touched by the environment and changed by the environment and wanting to become stewards for it because they've been involved in stand-up paddleboarding. And in my undergrad, I just thought, man, I, I, I need to prove this. Like, I can't keep hearing these stories and, and kind of trying to tell my professors and them just saying, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. But um, where's the evidence? And so... In my undergrad thesis, that's when I decided, you know what, I'm going to take this to the next level. And I interviewed 28 stand-up paddleboarders, and I think only three of them uh, didn't show a lot of environmental concern, but that's still 25 people that said that their perspective changed just because they've been stand-up paddleboarding. 
And all of them now work either in organizations or host their own beach cleanups and always think about giving back to the environment. And so when I signed up for my master's, I knew, okay, this is really cool what I found in my undergrad. I want to be able to apply it again. But this time with my work with Suff Kids, I want to research children and I want to see if, if it's the same for children. Does getting them on a stand-up paddleboard make them generate some sort of environmental awareness or environmental concern? And so I was actually supposed to travel to Thailand. I was supposed to be there in a couple of weeks <laughs> to go to Starboard and observe the kids camp there uh, to collect my data. But unfortunately, with, with the world pandemic mm -hmm. right now, that's, that's not possible. But I'm hoping to travel to another SUP kid school later on this summer, hopefully if things start to open up, to uh, partake in a process called ethnography. And that's basically mm -hmm. research where you just kind of sit back and you watch everything that's happening and you write down field notes. Um, I don't get to say anything to the kids. I don't get to be an instructor. Actually, in that scenario, I just literally get to sit back and watch what's happening and write down my observations. And so I'm hoping through that research, um, my hypothesis is to find that um, more kids will care for the environment after they're done uh, participating in the program. But we'll see. I'm really, really excited about this research and to keep proving to people that stand-up paddleboarding does make a difference in people's lives and makes a difference in their relationship with the environment and hopefully grows it. Yeah, I mean, fascinating area. What, what's your theory? And clearly, as an academic, you're supported by data here. But um, I've got a theory about stand-up paddleboarding. Clearly, all water users are concerned about the environment. but uh, Stand-up paddling is a little bit different in that you generally can't travel a little bit slower. You've got better visibility of the potential problem. So I guess we're, uh, as a tribe, a bit more aware of it than, you know, people on, say, jet skis or, or even sailing boats, I guess. What, what do you think? Do you think stand-up paddleboarders are particularly aware of it? Or is that just me uh, being a, a banner waver for, for the SUP lifestyle? <laughs> no, I, I actually could not agree with you more. Um, in my undergraduate thesis, I discovered that uh, the three factors of time, location, and um, oh, what was the last one? Oh, oh, perspective are what kind of change people's perspectives to care for the environment. So time being how much time they've spent on a paddleboard. So when I interviewed novice paddleboarders, those were the ones that said that they didn't really generate much of an environmental concern because they hadn't spent a lot of time on a paddleboard, which I think is mm. fair. Um, mm. And then uh, location. Location was huge. Um, I interviewed paddleboarders who said, yeah, I, I paddle just outside of Toronto. Like there's a sewage dump right here and I see garbage all the time. And then I also interviewed paddlers who are more exposed to the ocean and they say, yeah, like I see it on my beach, but I don't really see it when I'm out in the middle of the ocean. And so I think uh, exposure is huge in that sense too. And then perspective being what kind of a background did the participant come from? So uh, like myself, not really being around the water when I was a kid didn't really trigger that for me, but I was still exposed to the great outdoors. Like my parents took me camping. Um, I loved riding my bike on trails. 
So I think a sense of environmental stewardship was always ingrained in me. And for a lot of other paddleboarders, that was the case too. Uh, Paddleboarding was just another alternative for another form of outdoor recreation. And so they were able to kind of see more and and care for the environment more because of what they were doing. So Mm. I I could not agree with you more. I I truly think SUP is unique in that sense of the perspective it gives you. Yeah, well, it certainly seems that way. We are cruising up to the one hour mark now, which is wonderful because we've had some uh, very interesting stuff to hear from. I'd just like to fire a few uh, quick questions to you if you're all right with that of course yeah i'd love to okay right so here we go so a few quick fire for you um who is your sup role model fiona wild hands down uh why is that oh (laughs) sorry i wasn't sure how fast these questions are going (laughs) um again medium speed gotcha gotcha (laughs) okay yes so i would have to say fiona because um she's actually she's around my age So I think that's a huge factor for me. Um, But just seeing how she's overcome like challenges such as type 1 diabetes and still pushing the limits of stand-up paddleboarding and being such a strong, incredible female for our sport and representing Starboard, which again uh, is a company I'm very biased towards (laughs) and love the work that they're doing. So I think um, a lot of what Fiona stands for aligns with a lot of my my being so i think she's incredible fantastic we've got her on the show as well um best place you've ever paddled oh best place i've ever paddled i would have to say sydney british columbia for the 2019 uh nationals for team canada that was a really unique experience british columbia is beautiful isn't it Oh, the mountains and the jellyfish and the sea lions. Oh, it, it, incredible. Just stunning. Your bucket list paddle location. So the place that you haven't been to yet, but really want to go. Oh, definitely Hawaii. I have been eyeballing Hawaii, I think, since I ever saw stand-up paddleboarding. <laughs> I think uh, it looks like such an incredible location to paddle and really is a testament to your different capabilities as a paddler to paddle in flat water versus ocean swells and downwinding. It just, it looks like a dream. So I definitely want to get my butt to Hawaii one day. And you're a bit of a surfer too. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we do surf here on the great lakes. Unfortunately, our, our season is in the winter when it's really cold. So we have Mm -hmm. the whole seven millimeter hooded wetsuit uh, and booties and gloves because uh, that's when we get the most, amount of wind to produce enough strong swell to create rideable waves so i i do love surfing um but there's always room for improvement for sure (laughs) i'm definitely still learning in that area yeah (laughs) and uh, finally one key racing tip you could give to someone in their first ever race Ooh, one key racing tip just honestly go out there and have fun Like your first race, I think you should be doing it because it's fun. You should be doing it because you just want to go for the experience. And not too, like, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just kind of go out there, do your thing, and have fun. Be be risky, you know, try some pivot turns if you can, and really just enjoy it. 
Amazing, Maddie. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute joy having you on SUP FM. If we want to follow you on social media or find out more about you, where can we uh, where can we see you? Uh, I do have a website called uh, MaddieLeBlanc.com. So it's just my name. And then uh, Facebook, you can find my fundraiser on board uh, at Facebook.com slash Maddie's Ride on board. And then Instagram, uh, my handle is at Maddie3LeBlanc. Thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's been a fantastic episode and hopefully we'll get to speak again soon. Oh, Simon, I cannot thank you enough for allowing me to come on and to share my story today. It, it really means a lot to me. So thank you so much. And I hope you guys get the paddle soon. Oh, so do I. Looking forward to it. Speak <laughs> soon. Chat soon, Simon. Take care. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.